Acts chapter 19, and uh, starting in verse 1. <clears throat> and it happened while Apollos was at Corinth that Paul, having passed through the upper regions, came to Ephesus. And finding some disciples, he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? So they said to him, We have not so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. And he said to them, Into what then were you baptized? So they said, Into John's baptism. Then Paul said, John indeed baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying to the people that they should believe on him who would come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. Now the men were about twelve in all. And he went into the synagogue and spoke boldly for three months, reasoning and persuading concerning the things of the kingdom of God. But when some were hardened and did not believe, he spoke evil of the way before the multitude. He departed from them and withdrew the disciples, reasoning daily in the school of Tyrannus. And this continued for two years, so that all who dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both the Jews and the Greeks. Now when God... Now God worked unusual miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons were brought from his body to the sick, and the diseases left then, and the evil spirits went out of them. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists took it upon themselves to call the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, We exorcise you by the Jesus whom Paul preaches. Also there were seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, who did so. And the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are you? Then the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them, overpowered them, and prevailed against them so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. This became known both to all the Jews and the Greeks dwelling in Ephesus. And fear fell on them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. And many who had believed came confessing and telling their deeds. Also, many of those who had practiced magic brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted up the value of them and it totaled 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. Thank you for your word, for the truth it gives to us. We ask that uh, you truly would be lifted up. And as we study your word, may you guide us and help us to apply it to our lives as well. In Jesus' name we ask it, amen. 2020, seeing ministry clearly, how can I be a part of the process as we've been looking at the book of Acts? And uh, it says Paul makes some noise, the second part. But as we look at chapter 19, and uh, really in the title of this message is Jesus uses Paul to disciple others. And as we think about discipleship, discipleship is both a mandate and a requirement. It involves the process of gaining intelligent information and examining it and evaluating it in order to incorporate its truths into your personal life. And as we think about a disciple, oftentimes we think of one who disciples another. And so as we take that information, often you're not going to follow someone maybe who you don't believe or maybe you're not committed to. Sometimes the challenge with discipleship is trying to get someone to really do the work or to follow through or be faithful. But in biblical times, a disciple was one who was willing to follow, give up. And as we think about even the discipleship of Christ, to follow after Christ, to understand that this is the right way, the direction and, and going after, that's why they were called the way. And so as we look at it, I just want you to take it within this context of understanding that Paul is interacting with these individuals. And it's not necessarily as we think of the formal discipleship of one-on-one, -on -one, but as discipleship of as he's disseminating this information and trying to share with them the biblical truths, sometimes on more of a, a general level, but also with these individuals. So first thing we want to look at as we look at verses one through five is the fact that Paul disciples the uneducated. And what I mean by uneducated, I wanted to specify it's not that they were ignorant of um, just anything. They were uneducated of who the way was, a biblical truth. And so as we see here, especially the first thing we look at in verse 1, if you follow along and reading, it says, 
And as it happened, while Paul was in Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper region, came to Ephesus and finding some disciples. So here we see Paul is at Ephesus, and he's on his own, but he finds these disciples. Now, these disciples were not disciples of John the Baptist, even as we see later, but they were followers of Jesus. And we know that because um, Luke, who writes Acts, he would have indicated that these were John the Baptist's disciples. But we see here that they were uneducated in what the way was and what they believed. Even the ministry of the Holy Spirit, they were unsure of what that was. But disciples follow the correct person. And that's important because as you're following who you follow, whether it be in leadership, but in disciples, it's important that we follow the right person. And so as we move forward in our just following along in the PowerPoint, disciples follow the correct person, and they were following Jesus. That's one good thing is that they are following, but they didn't know who Jesus was. Well, they didn't know the ministry of the Holy Spirit because John the Baptist had pointed them in the right direction. And so that's important. He said, you know, behind me, someone is going to come who is greater than I. So don't look to me. So the second thing we see here is that disciples receive instruction. Disciples receive instruction. Verse 2 to 4, as we see this interaction takes place, it says that he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? So they said to him, We have not so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. You know, it's interesting because sometimes Christians, sometimes people, we want to pretend, Oh yeah, I know that, or I've heard that, or Oh yeah, I, I know all about that. You don't have to tell me. Well, it's important to receive instruction, whether we know it or not, but to understand that here, they said, yes, we haven't heard of this, and we would like to know more. And then they said, what were you then baptized in? And even as one who is teaching these disciples, Paul inquires more information. Sometimes religious leaders just like to tell you all the answers, but it's important to find out where people are at. What is their knowledge base? While they were uneducated of the way, there's some people who know quite a bit. These individuals were versed in, in the background of the Old Testament and others, but as we look at the questions that Paul gives to them, and he says, into what were you baptized? And they said, into John, John's baptism. Then Paul said, John indeed baptized with baptism and repentance, but there is more than that. And so as we see this instruction, first of all, they did not know who the Holy Spirit was, and this Holy Spirit that was ushered in in Acts 2 at the church age, that we see the Holy Spirit is personal. Sometimes we have this idea that the Holy Spirit is this mystical force out there. Um, and we look at, oh, you know, we get our understanding of the Holy Spirit from Star Wars. Use the force, you know. I need to get some more of it. It's like a, a breath, you know. It's pictured as a breath or a bird, but understanding is the Holy Spirit is personal. Even we see in Acts 5 when Ananias and Sapphira, they lied to the Holy Spirit. And we saw the results of that. But here, we, it's important to understand that the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. Within the Trinity, we have God and God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. God the Holy Spirit is not God the Father. God the Father is not God the Son, and God the Son is not God the Holy Spirit. This three in one, we don't completely understand it. But remember, it does not invalidate it. And so that's an important part, that God is God. And as we look at taking place here, the, the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, they had not heard of the Holy Spirit. And so Paul seeks more information. He instructs them and says that uh, John's baptism was preparatory, emphasizing repentance because one who is greater than I would come. And as we see the difference between Jesus' baptism, Jesus' baptism was fulfillment because the first coming, Jesus Christ had come to seek and to save that which was lost and to die for the sins of the world and to raise again. And we see here, he would also give the promise of the Holy Spirit. So here's an interesting question just want to give to you. Can a person get saved without the indwelling of the Holy Spirit? Because, and I would say, this is a little difficult and theologic, but I would say yes. And here's the thing. What is the purpose of the Holy Spirit? Because otherwise, if we say someone can't get saved without the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, no one was saved in the Old Testament. By faith, it works right. But what is the purpose of the Holy Spirit? That's right, and evidence. 
He said he would send the Holy Spirit to, to, as we look at that. And so it's important for us to understand that because we don't really think about that. We don't deliberate. We just assume, you know, we've had the Holy Spirit and the benefits of that. The Holy Spirit to convict, to instruct, to teach us. And we see what would take place. The evidence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. The fruit of the Spirit. You know, these are great things. It would be difficult to live in the Old Testament. But to understand the conviction, the instruction. And in John 14, 16 through 20, and also 25 to 29, it was a helper to new believers to understand what would be the ministry of Christ. And as we look, move forward, to be able to spread, evangelize this new covenant. So while it's essential, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, they didn't understand what was the purpose of this. And so then, obviously, the baptism as the fulfillment, to understand they serve the risen Christ, and understanding these disciples who were disciples um, following after the way, but also they had followed John the Baptist's baptism, it was important for them to understand that disciples submit to spiritual authority. And it wasn't more of a, like, a hierarchy, okay, you have to believe because I'm in this position. But to understand the added information, the knowledge here, as it says here, when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. And the instruction and in that baptism, it is an important part because as we see here, it was they were incomplete in their knowledge of who Jesus was. And many people blindly follow something or someone because of the benefits they received. Even many religious people are well-meaning but are often duped by swindlers, strong personalities, and pressure by church leaders who manipulate. Sometimes they use biblical academics um, because of their degrees, sometimes emotions. You know, you've seen the, the TV preachers, evangelists, who says you have to give because we need this, or, or I'm going to die, or this or that. Or even spiritual authority. You have to because they, the Bible. But the problem is that we need to understand here. 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, it says, Paul says, follow me or imitate me as I follow Christ. There is a condition upon this understanding of spiritual authority. And so here, these individuals, follow me as I follow or imitate Christ. And based upon the actions of the individuals and the emphasis is upon Jesus, not the spiritual leader. And even in this church, you know, my goal is to live for Christ. But if you follow me and I only bring you to the point of following myself, I failed. The desire is that you follow Christ. And that way, as a congregation, you continue on following after and what Christ has done. And these disciples re both receive benefits and evidence of the one who's fallen correctly. And so as they received the Holy Spirit, they spoke in other languages, which was going to be important and necessary, and they were able to prophesy. And these individuals, while they were uneducated in spiritual truths, it did not mean that they could not learn. Because they became the building blocks, if you will, of the church of Ephesus. And as we see later, and it says that they were 12 in all. And the church of Ephesus became a major um, church that was influential in all of Asia. We know later that that's where Timothy, where Paul writes to Timothy, was placed. So it's important, as we see here, even this understanding of these disciples coming through and being filled with the Holy Spirit. Next thing we look at as we follow through in verses 8 through 10. You see here is that Paul is at Ephesus, and we know that he was here for a period of time. So the first thing, not only does Paul disciple the uneducated, if you will, Paul disciples the educated. And these were ones who are very well educated in Jewish law, and uh, he goes to the synagogue, which was his process, anytime he went to a, a new location. So Paul here in verse 8, the first thing we see is the educated will not always see truth. Verse 8. And he went into the synagogue and, and spoke boldly for three months, reasoning and persuading concerning the things of the kingdom of God. Three months he spent time. And these individuals, he could approach them at a place where they understood because of the the scriptures. So they would have already been learned in, in some things, and they were witnesses what had taken place, but some of them, when they were hardened, did not believe, but spoke evil the way before the multitude. 
trying to persuade. And we see here that the educated do not always see truth. Paul was a master debater. One thing, as we think about a lawyer and a Pharisee, he was one who could convince. There are those who persuasion. And as we know, he is a little shorter in statue, but he was one, I, I could imagine someone who engages, and I'm not going to speculate, but he was one who would, who would be able to argue. I mean, he confronted Pharisees, he confronted all these other individuals, so we know he had boldness. But uh, he could present his case and argue masterfully. And he spent three months engaging in discussion, seeking to persuade the Jews' believe. I think that's an important part as we think about discipleship as well, as we think about parenting, as we think about anyone influence. Sometimes we have to understand that to live and to teach, understand others what we believe, and to persuade, let them know that it is right. And even if it's truthful, um, there are those who will not always see the truth in that. But he spoke boldly, was well-versed in language, and used it to convince and teach. And we must be convinced of who Jesus is. How many of you have ever been in sales? Okay, not too many. I mean, but have you ever tried to sell something that you really didn't believe in? That's bad. When I was coming out of high school, I filled out one of these applications, went in, and I found out it's selling Cutco knives. Well, I'm not a salesman at all, but one thing about Cutco knives is that I've used them, and uh, they, they do sell themselves, and I'm not promoting it, but, but my point is that as I used them, I was always worried about, you know, am I trying to sell them? Uh, but they, it's a product that's a little more expensive, but they, they are valuable. People use them, and uh, the knives, and they in, in your hand. But my point is in understanding that you can't sell them well if you're not convinced that they are they are actually beneficial to people. Now then there's different price points, but, but you cannot sell things that you yourself do not believe in. There's a lot of believers and Christians who, you know, okay, I believe that, that uh, Christ has died, that he rose again, but they haven't gone any further to research, to understand, even archaeologically, to believe. Or I believe this, but not this. And as we read the Bible, as we grow in our knowledge and understanding of who God is, it's important because it'll reaffirm your faith, not um, that, oh, I just believe, but remember, faith is the object of our faith is worthy of our trust. And when something or someone is trustworthy, you have more confidence to be able to share. And that's how it is. It's important for here, Paul, he was committed. He had seen the risen Christ. He says, he's all out. This is truth. You have to believe it. And as we look here, one as well educator has degrees with many talents or heirs of knowledge. That's in the U.S. There have been those who are become specialists. Well, you know, we, you know a lot about one thing, but the fact of the reality is is that we're all ignorant just in different areas. But most people, you know, pride ourselves in what we know. So I think about uh, my neighbor. He's kind of a renaissance man. He works in furniture. He's an electrical engineer. He also is able to fix vehicles. You know, just in many different areas, those individuals are rare. Uh, my, my friend who's a chef and works on houses, does all these things. Even, you know, my father are different ones who can do all these different things in many areas, and they're really experts. It's, it's a rare gift. But the art of persuading others to believe is not valuable to try to use in sales or gimmicks or marketing. So we, we don't want to understand that Christianity is not like that. But the gospel and the person work of Jesus Christ is able to be understood, but it requires the Spirit of God moving in their life for them to accept that truth. And what I mean by that is that you might be the world's best salesperson. You might be able to convince and teach. We should convince and try to persuade people to place their faith in Christ, but they'll come to Christ not based upon our incredible arguments, not based upon, oh, we were just able to convince them. You could give the worst presentation of the gospel, and if the Spirit of God is moving their life, they'll come to Christ, which, is a, which really demonstrates that it's our obedience in sharing the gospel, but it's God who works in their lives. 1 Corinthians 2, 1 through 16 explains even the Spirit of God. Let me just read a little bit of that in 1 Corinthians 2, 1 through 16. You don't have to turn there, but if you would like to, it's 1 Corinthians 2, which talks about the Spirit of God working in, and those who do not have the Spirit will not understand. Just listen. 
And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God, for I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness and fear and in much trembling, and my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and a power that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. However, we speak wisdom among those who are mature, yet not the wisdom of this age, nor the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing, but we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery. Mystery, something not revealed, but is, is going to be. The hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory, which none of the rulers of this age knew, for they had known they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. As it is written, I has not seen nor ears heard nor entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed them to us through his spirit. For the spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of the man who is in him even so no one knows the things of god except the spirit of god now we have received not the spirit of the world but the spirit who is from god that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by god and just as i share that it's important for us to understand that you know there are the people who are very intelligent educated and when they're confronted with truth they won't believe because they do not have the spirit of god working in them so the next thing we see is the educated can respond with hostility. You don't have to only be uneducated to respond with hostility. Humanly speaking, we're emotional people. It doesn't matter how much education, how controlled you are, there are people who are going to respond with hostility. And in verse 9, we see these individuals who were antagonistic to the gospel. And it says that they hardened and did not believe, but spoke evil the way before the multitude. Harden the heart. Sometimes you can see a person, you can, they can be friendly, and then their face just changes. And we see here what takes place with these Jewish leaders at the, tab um, at the synagogue. They begin to slander the way in front of others. And when people are confronted with spiritual and biblical truths, they don't want to believe. They put up a fence or a wall and create an impenetrable exterior. Some chose not to believe because maybe it'll ruin their reputation, their livelihood, or even affect their friends. Maybe you've shared the gospel or tried to present biblical truth to others and they don't want anything of it. And others are still hostile and vitriolic toward anything that is biblical related. Oh Christ, I don't want any of that. You can quote you can talk about God because God is kind of nebulous. They believe, oh, you know, you can believe that this is a God, this is a God. But when you say, talk about Jesus Christ, there is instantly a hostility that, that many have against who Jesus Christ is because you're saying, then, oh, that's exclusive. You're discounting other individuals. And here we see what is, what is taking place in our society. Others have lied and seek and and want to destroy you because you represent to them um, anything that is not acceptable or tolerant, but yet in many who are being intolerant of your belief. And the churches, modern-day religion, the challenge that we face to be biblical is that we have not changed, those who preach the gospel, the word of God, have not changed in their foundational, fundamental beliefs of what the Bible says. The problem, there are those other churches who have changed their interpretation to fit the narrative, to fit others, oh, to be more accepting. And that's the problem, is the interpretation of the Word of God. And so that's why it's important as a believer to start with the correct hermeneutic, what the Bible says, put into historical context, to read it, to understand what it said in its original uh, text, and then to take that and to apply it to our lives. And that's the goal here, even at Grace Baptist Church, so that as we read the Bible, and understand, it's not an easy book. If someone were to, to say, oh, I know it all, you know, I don't have to read it anymore. You know, people who have advanced degrees and have read it for centuries, you can read, that's the beautiful thing about the Bible, is you can read it and still not capture anything, but yet you can read a, a passage or text a hundred times and then go back to it, and at a time in your life, it can really be very instrumental 
or understanding, wow, it's, I understand what that means because now maybe the experiences in your life apply directly to you. And here, as we, as we look at the problem that the public always wants to destroy anything that identifies their sin and desires for them to accept and prove their sin, and even in politics, as we think about civil discussions and discourse, even people who had opposing views. Presently, we're in a culture that has been dominated by those who are financially influential and they've distorted and redefined truth and are seeking to destroy any biblical worldview. To live for Christ is not a position one chooses to be liked by all. But if you blindly follow the masses, you have to believe everything that they believe in, otherwise they'll eat their own. And if I can be personal with you, I would encourage you to read the Bible to understand what it says and follow after Christ. While you may not be liked by all, one thing you will be, it'll be understood that you'll be cared for by Christ and life or death, and you will find fulfillment, you will find peace in knowing that you are on the right path. It's not always easy. There's joys, there's benefits, but it's not about what is in this world, immediate benefits. You have to understand it's not about immediate gratification. And so that's why some people say, well, why read? And they're hostile because of the sin in their lives, the antagonism toward Jesus Christ to say they're exclusive. But yet also we need to be patient and loving and kind in some respects and know the limits, the boundaries, because there's some who, you know, you think will never come to Christ. We think, oh, that person will never come to Christ, but yet God works in their lives. Pray for others. Because also we learn in verse 10, the educated need time to learn. And it's process. Sometimes, you know, the approach and how we are. Some people believe right away. We always think of Thomas. Blessed are those who, you know, believe Christ right away, but, the, but he didn't condemn Thomas. Even though Thomas wanted to see, I want to see the hands, I want to see the side, and then I'll believe. Thomas didn't say, well, you know, show me your feet too. Show me everything else. He was like, my Lord and my God. And we have one of the greatest confessions of the deity of, of Christ there, my Lord and my God. Now, obviously, there's other blessings for those who come early, but it doesn't mean that those who still need a little more help, still need a little more belief and understanding, that tangible evidence they still can believe. And so as we see here in verse 10, verse 10 takes place and says, and this continued for two years so that those who dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. So Paul separates after three months and takes those and studies um, at Tyrannus. And so Paul left the synagogue. He rented a facility to train and teach at Tyrannus. And Tyrannus, um, there was a, uh, there was a piece of historical archaeological evidence they found from the school of Tyrannus. Um, I guess there in the city there was also a, um, an ore. Uh, they must have had maybe um, those who did um, crew or, or rowing. So they found this ore, but it was burned and destroyed. And so the problem is that um, the, um, this was the, um, the, at the school of um, Tyrannus, the ore um, was wrecked. Sorry, I was just trying to think of that. But the, 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 at the school of Tyrannus, the ore was wrecked. Anyway, I tried to do a pun, but it just went all over your head. I'm sorry. School, Tyrannosaurus sore um, was wrecked. Anyway, Tyrannosaurus wrecks. It's okay. If I have to explain my joke, it's pretty bad. I was just trying to see if I could get it through. But uh, anyway, I need help with my puns. It was a self created pun, it was bad, so, but anyway, the school at Tyrannus, and that's what we think of, it wasn't a dinosaur for schools, but this t school at Tyrannus that Paul created was one that was where these individuals could interact and discuss, and that's the importance of even learning, interaction, to answer questions. Did you know that people have questions, and it's important to ask questions, to be able to um, discuss, and to be able to find out. And when other people ask questions, we learn. You know, the sad thing is we've, we've, we lose the ability to ask for questions because we think, oh, it's a dumb question, even as adults. Think about kids. Kids ask you lots of questions. It's how they learn. You know, what is that? Why is the sky blue? Why is, and sometimes adults were like, uh, the sky is blue because of gas. And, you know, I think of Calvin and Hobbes. Well, back in history, it used to be black and white and then became blue. But, 
but sometimes we get tired of questions. But questions to the natural curiosity is beneficial. So when we approach the Word of God, there's questions. And as we um, read the text, what is taking place? This Tyrannus, it's here. Is it a historical place? Yes. They reason daily in the school of Tyrannus. Probably Paul was working at other times, and maybe in the early morning. And so he studies as well and interacts with these uh, individuals and continues on in training them. And it says that for two years that all who dwell in Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. Now, not because of the school, but probably because he trained these individuals to go out and be able to share, and they went back. But we understand here that we never get to the point in our spiritual lives where we can claim that we have reached the pinnacle. Okay, I don't need to learn anymore. We should never stop learning and working. We must keep reading, keep learning and studying and growing in our spiritual understanding. It is a discipline, but there are eternal consequences. And his students carried the message of Jesus Christ to all of Asia. But as we continue on and looking at number three, not only did Paul disciple the uneducated and the educated, he also discipled the miseducated. And so verses 11 through 20, we, we arrive at the area where it's really an incredible story because of the miracles that take place here. And, and as we look through here, first of all, we understand about these miracles is the power of the miracles was not sorcery. In Ephesus, sorcery was very common and a practice. But here, as we read verse 11 through 13, it says, Now God worked unusual miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons were brought from his body to the sick, and the diseases left them, and the evil spirits went out of them. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists took it upon themselves to call the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, We exercise you by the Jesus whom Paul preaches. Now when we read this in the King James or the New King James, we might think, Okay, handkerchiefs and aprons. Instantly we think, well, was Paul baking a cake? Or, you know, handkerchiefs. You know, sometimes those, uh, those televangelists, preachers, you know, they get really sweaty, you know, and they have to wipe their brow in here. You know, here's your handkerchief. Why would people pay money for that? But, but just understanding that it's not that. As we look here, first of all, I was trying to find it and in the study of um, different texts and also hand cloth, face cloths or work aprons and even in different uh, commentaries and studies as I was looking exegetical commentary that says it's probably maybe a leather apron. What was Paul's livelihood? What was, how did he make, sustain himself? He was a tent maker and probably worked with skins and probably wore maybe a work apron or things like that and so that's probably what it referred to. But the miracle of it is that things that touched him you know, and as he did his ministry, he's working, and, and people say, hey, you know, people are sick. And I think about even in Mark, when Jesus spent so much time because he had a heart for people, healing and casting out demons and helping these individuals. And Paul had a ministry of that. It says that, so that even the handkerchiefs and aprons were brought from his body to the sick, and the diseases left them, and the evil spirits went out of them. And these individuals. And what was the occurrence? You know, first of all, contrary to... As we see these evil spirits, the whole contrary to the evangelism and the gospel, but we see here the authentication of Paul truly was following after the risen Christ. And we see even back in other areas of Acts and what takes place. And so God used Paul to authenticate his messages. These miracles healed the sick and cast out demons. Now, this is not a text that says Christians should go and try to cast out demons. That was not his primary role. And the city of Ephesus but, um, was a center of witchcraft and sorcery. So you have to understand that there was um, demon activity taking place here. There was magical papyri that were rolled up in small cylinders or lockets and then used as amulets that they wore around their neck of the wearer at, there in Ephesus. And God used Paul to perform miracles. He used the face cloths, the work aprons, to bring about miracles to demonstrate that he had power over these these sorcerers and these other individuals. And even if we think about earlier in Acts 8, Simon the sorcerer was fascinated with the power of the giving of the Holy Spirit. Back in Acts 13, Elymas the sorcerer tried to withstand Paul with his power, 
But remember, Paul, the Spirit of God, was more powerful than these sorcerers. And so I see the demonstration here that, that God is using Paul to authenticate. Guess what? Look, this is more powerful than your sorcerers, or sometimes it would be to try to cast a spell or to read an, an enchantment to bring out a demon. They would try to call upon a power of a powerful deity or God to, to cause a demon to come out or to bring about a healing. But guess what? The power of the miracles was not sorcery. It was in the person work of Jesus Christ. And so as we see here, Paul, you, um, God uses Paul to authenticate his message that he was a follower of Christ. But the second thing we look at is the power of demons is real. We cannot deny that there are demons or fallen angels. They are not disembodied spirits. Sometimes we think of zombies or others that come alive. But this is understanding the limitations, but the power of demons is real. Now, as a believer in Christ, we believe that uh, the Spirit of God and, the, and, and a demon cannot be in, in habitation together. So we know that a, a believer cannot be possessed. But can a believer be influenced? Absolutely. And when we are away from the Word of God and allow sinful desires, sinful things in our lives, then obviously we can see what takes place is that there is influence, and even in our world today. And here in verse 13 through 17, we see what takes place. These other itinerant, it says here, that word, um, let me read, then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists took it upon themselves to call the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, we exorcise you in the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches. Remember, they're looking for a powerful name or deity to kind of to try to use to cast out, because if one's more powerful than the other, they're going to try to use that name. And then it says, there were seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, who did so. And the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know, Paul I know, but who are you? And so we see what takes place is that individual is powerful, jumps on and, and literally overpowers them, and they fled out. They were both naked and wounded. And as we see in the Holman Christian, it says, that these itinerant Jewish exorcists attempted to pronounce the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits. So they're trying to use that name because, oh, we see that there's power in the name. While we sing and say there's power in the name of the Lord, there's strength in the name of the Lord, see, they're just using it as kind of a magical word. But yet they did not know the power behind the name. And the power of demons, as we think about these Jewish sons of Sceva were probably not of a priestly line, and Sceva was one who we believe maybe only a self-designated high priest in name only. Because if he was following a Jewish high priest, he wouldn't have been involved in this, um, in this um, sorcery. But sometimes similar to those who are seeking credibility. And that's the challenge. Maybe they, this, they say we're uh, of the high priest line. And so this Jewish itinerant individual was trying to get people to, to believe in him. It's the same way as someone who, you know, there are religious leaders who, who try to, to get credibility and uh, others to seek fame and prominence. But the problem is that they did not understand the mission that Paul was given directly from God. And understand in the Hebrew, the Jewish culture, they, they never said the name of God. Even if you see it in writing, they, they'll always leave out part of it. And as we understand, they, they knew that there was a certain, they, they didn't want to mispronounce it. And the reverence that they have for the name of God. And these sons viewed this, their incantation, incantation as a magical method for casting out the demons. But there's papyra, papyra grisse, I can't speak French, but if I were to try Papyri Grisse Magique, located in records of magical papyrus in Bibliothèque Nationale in Paris, and it records the following statement. The reason I say that is because if you, it says, I adjure you by Jesus, the God of the Hebrews. So there's different um, incantations and spells that they had to try to produce certain things, and they used names of deities and powerful. But here, you see how it's really... They didn't know the God of the Hebrews, but they're trying to use it as a magical indentation to, hey, I can use that to produce the same results. So this is uh, in archaeological finds and in this 
Bibliothèque Nationale. Nationale. But the sorcerers simply attempted to repeat the phraseology to obtain the power, but did not understand or know that power over the demons. And demon possessions or fallen angels are able to possess unbelievers and demonstrate great feats of strength and intelligence. They're given limited powers to deceive and coerce people. The Bible talks about in Revelation um, that someday there will be four angels, and these are probably demonic, and they're going to influence. And as we think about those armies that they'll be able to control, and I, I was trying to think of what were, are different things that will occur. Will it be through AI? Will it be, you know, what will take place? But they have control, and they will be able to control um, these individuals, but demon possession, they have limited control, and sometime they will be un unleashed, and they will influence and, and kill some of those in biblical prophecy in the times that, as we see, taking place during the tribulation. But understanding is that the power of demons is real. So as believers, what is their goal? We shouldn't go search out. We shouldn't seek to, to overcome them. But to understand that Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. And so, as we can have confidence of knowing that the power of the Holy Spirit, the power of God working in us and through us can overcome. And it's amazing because as believers, sometimes we are grateful that, that through Jesus Christ we can have salvation. God gives us the power to be able to have eternal life. But yet sometimes we think God can't help us in our finances. God can't help us in our studies. God's too busy. He can't help us in our marriage. God can't help us in this, this area of our lives. But yet we need to understand that there is great power in who God is and to place our confidence in Him. But also when we're confronted with spiritual tribulation, with trials, with difficulty, and when we are facing, when there's those who are facing, you know, to, to take upon the power of prayer, not on our own. There's no magic, uh, mystical incantation from the word of God to cast out demons. And so those who go after those are really, really seeking. I, I think they're misguided. But if you're confronted with that, you know, I take the word of God and, and we have to measure that through the Holy Spirit because there are some in other countries that truly have faced that. And with the word of God and through sensitivity to the Holy Spirit, I believe that they can do that. But where we're at now, it's important for us to understand that that is not something that we should desire. As I talked about Elemis and um, Simon the Sorcerer, they were, oh, you know, they were fascinated by the power over their sorcery, but then they saw the giving of the Holy Spirit, and it's like, hey, I'll pay you for that. I want that power. That's not some power to be sought after. Jesus Christ, God changes lives, but he uses us. But it's understand the spirit of humility as our desire is to honor and follow him, be sensitive to his leading. And the last thing we see here is the power of Jesus Christ changes lives. And as, as what takes place here in 17 through 20, it says, This became known both to all Jews and Greeks dwelling in Ephesus, and fear fell upon them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. Now we must understand it isn't just because of the miracles. Paul interacted as he taught. Um, some people think, oh, it's just the miracle that occurred. But Paul had to teach them to explain what was taking place all during this time, and those, and it says here that they became known both to all Jews and Greeks, lead, live, dwelling in Ephesus, and fear fell upon them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. And many who had believed came, confessing and telling their deeds. Also many of those who had practiced magic brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all, and they counted up the value of them, and it totaled 50,000 pieces of silver, so that the word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed. Fear fell upon them and the name of Jesus Christ was magnified. I think that's an important part because really as believers, that should be our desire is that the name of Jesus Christ is magnified in our lives. And it's often seen through evangelism, through discipleship, through living a testimony of Christ, but it, it's the name of Jesus Christ. If we just live a godly and a good life, people will say, oh, they're such a good individual, such a good moral person. But I'll be honest, we will not be able to live a moral life as some others. There are Buddhists, there are LDS, there's other individuals who are in different religious systems who, who will live a more disciplined life than us. 
But the desire is to, as we respond to tribulation, as we respond to trials, failures, successes, if we respond in a right way and point people toward Christ, his name will be magnified. And as we see here, first of all, people became believers. They came to Christ. They understood that this was not a power of a sorcery. This was a person work of Jesus Christ and how he has given the spirit. And, and there is an individual. It's not a system. It's a relationship. And that is essential in understanding Christianity. Christianity, biblical Christianity, is all about following the person and work of Jesus Christ, what he did dying on the cross. As we enter into a relationship with him, it is not static. Okay, I've checked that box and now I don't need to move any further. There's a process of growth, a sanctification, of understanding. I need to move away from sin and move toward God. It's not just, oh, you've arrived and that's it. It's still a process. I've likened it, and maybe I haven't used this illustration in a while, but sometimes people look at it as a, um, a um, conveyor belt. Have you been on like a treadmill conveyor belt at the airport? The Christian life is like that. Sometimes we think, oh, I get on, I can just stand still, and it'll move me forward, right? But if you're a kid, or whether it be escalators or one of those, you probably got on and tried to go the other direction. Have you ever tried to do that? Come on, be honest. You know, whether it be an escalator or something, you know, done it. But that's kind of like the Christian life is. Because if you stand still, what will happen is that will just take you backwards. And that's how it is in our spiritual lives. It will just slowly take you um, backwards. Some people will say, oh, it's backsliding. But really, it, it removes you and you become static and you become cold as a believer. But if you walk a normal pace and just do basic things, what happens as that conveyor belt moves backwards? If you just do a normal pace, you stay the same. It takes actually effort and work to progress against a conveyor belt that's moving forward. And that's kind of how it is with our spiritual life, to give you a visual picture. It takes some effort. It takes some blood, sweat, and tears. Sometimes it's like, oh, I'm, I'm a failure. And that's why, as we think about the local church, other believers to encourage you, to help you. If you think about trying to ride a bike or trying to do school or learning your times tables. Maybe some of your kids are at the times table area. You know, oh, I can't do it. What's nine times eight? Or, or what's, what's the scientific principle? I can't do it. But you can with help. You know, and it doesn't matter if you learn it um, a little later. You progress. Work at it. Some get it easy. Some don't. But the point is that you will learn it and, as you work at it and go through. And so the believer's life, and as we see here, um, understanding these individuals became believers and they confessed their sins. That's why after, after we come to Christ, it's important that we confess our sins because it says, what does the text say? If you, if you look here, it says, and many who believed came confessing and telling their deeds. Why did they tell their deeds? To, to admit, guess what? Admit I've done wrong. And in our spiritual lives, it's important that when we mess up, don't just try to hide it, put it on the carpet, say, you know, I'm wrong I did wrong, God. And he's often forgiven us. We sometimes say, please forgive me. He has forgiven us. But when we confess and to come back into a right relationship with God, guess what? He doesn't remember it. Sometimes we do. But to move forward and to understand that, guess what? Now start progressing. Now we can move forward and not only restore the relationship, but to continue on forward. Sometimes we have that saying, oh, forgive and forget. Only God can forgive and forget, if you will, per se, in the sense that he doesn't, he doesn't forget, he doesn't hold it against us. The problem is we, we continue to be reminded of our failures of that. But guess what? Don't allow that to block in our spiritual growth with Christ. Confess the sin and move on. And that's the benefit is that it's not held against us. Satan tries to remind us of our, of our failures, of our sins. And so here, these individuals identified their sinful practices, the sorcery, demonic practices, by divulging the words. And what they would do is, they had had these incantations. Remember, I talked about these little um, charms, and they thought they were special words that were powerful. Power in the words. And so they would take them and give them up. Or they would speak them. See, what happened is, in a spell, it was believed to remove its power. It was believed that the potency of a spell was bound up in its secrecy. I can't let you know what I'm saying in order to bring about this healing or this magical um, protection or casting out demons. If I mumble or say it, then you don't know the words. It's, it's, it's secret, and so therefore the power is that no one else knows it. But they actually would say the words, and so that's where in the text where it says, 
that they're telling their deeds. Literally, they were telling the words to these and giving them up so that they believe that it removed the power of them. That guess what? It doesn't hold any power. Only the power is in Christ. And so they removed it. But what it teaches us is it removed tangible items that caused them to sin. And the books. They got rid of these books that were valuable and monetary. Some people think, well, why didn't you sell them? You can make some money. But they got rid of them. And I think it's an important lesson for us as believers as well that it's not about the financial um, dependence. Because believers should trust God for their income, their finances, more than their possessions or circumstances. And they understood the financial ramifications or the loss of income. 50,000 pieces of silver. Usually in the Greek culture, it would have been about um, a piece of silver a day. So 50,000 days labor. But is the value of Christ far greater than any treasure on this earth? And that's the important part is as we understand what is more valuable. Sometimes, I mean, we worry about finances. If you're, you know, as we look at that and understand, and we should be fiscally responsible, but to understand that we also need to be wise, but give this over to God and to understand that sometimes there's sacrifices financially that we make for, for spiritual reasons. Too often, I've known people who move and they, they, they're going to gain financial gain, but they don't think about the spiritual effects upon their family. Oh, maybe there's not a church there. Maybe there's not any believers. And so I think that as we take that into account, it's important to think about, you know, even young people. Should the Lord tarry going to school? You know, you want to get a job, but think about what you can use that as a resource to help serve Christ, whether it be in a church. I know growing up, there were many who, who believed you go into ministry if you can't do anything else. I felt that way. I was thinking, okay, I'm going to go into something medical, some other way, because I don't want to be like that. But then sometimes God directs your plans. I was speaking with someone who, who ministers um, fr- in ministry with um, Muslims. And he was talking about how God really directed his path. And, and you see that. But also, sometimes God directs you into these areas of business, of degrees, and whatever you are, you can serve God in that. Use that capacity. The key is don't use it just for financial gain. Use it as an opportunity to serve and minister with your resources. And then finally, as we see here, is people trusted God. Trusting God in all areas of our life. That's not easy. It's still a process for all of us. Verse 20 It says, above all, the Lord's message flourished and prevailed. If you will, go to the next slide. And we see, the word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed. And that's such an important part. And as we look at it, the testimony of Christians is singularly powerful. God can use your life, its weaknesses, its strengths, its failures and successes. But most importantly, your humility to be used by God. We must stay connected to Jesus. Read the Bible. Live by its truths. Everyone needs to be discipled. The question is, who is discipling you? And who could, bring, who could God bring into your life to disciple? Your testimony is one of the greatest single assets for the message of Jesus Christ to be communicated to others. I would encourage you to allow God to use you today. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time. And Lord, I pray that you would use us in whatever capacity. Lord, as we think about just these miracles that Paul do, and sometimes we think of those who have many gifts, and we think, wow, I could never be like them. But God, you can do great things through us. You can do simple things, but the key is that we're faithful, that we're obedient, that we're willing. And it starts with a humble heart. Really, my prayer is that you would use me, you would use each one here in the capacity they have. God, you can use young people, no matter what age, no matter what education. You can use any age individuals, retirees. Lord, help us just be simply willing to be used by you, to grow in our spiritual lives, to pray, to be willing to teach others, but also to be taught. And Lord, we are grateful for for what you're doing in our lives. Father, I just pray that uh, you would be honored and glorified. If there be someone here who has never placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, I pray that they might understand that today is such a vital time to do it now. It's a relationship.
not a set of, of tasks to complete, but Lord, to come to Christ and then to obey, maybe through believer's baptism, maybe by being part of a local church, but to continue to grow in their spiritual walk with you. You are to have first place in our life. Help us just to submit our will to yours, we pray. In Jesus' name we ask, amen.